heard of him. He's going to be sharing with us this morning. But he's asked me first to begin by reading our scripture. So if you can move yourself from announcement mode into scripture listening mode, you can take a deep breath to do that. We're going to begin. And then I'm going to pray for Gordy as he teaches. So I'm reading to you this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. This is starting at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck And they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the good news of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. What a reading, again, in light of us focusing and remembering residential schools and the legacy there. Lord, this is not an easy saying. This is not an easy teaching. And we trust you. We trust you. We trust you with your word. We trust you by your Holy Spirit to interpret for us what is good for us to hear today. And Lord, we trust you with Gordy. We entrust him to you now. We thank you for the preparation that he has done and that you have done in him. We pray that your word would be clear and true through him and that you would come against anything that is not of you that would get in the way of him speaking or us hearing in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that this would come forward for our blessing and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again, and I think it's highly appropriate to acknowledge that we are on 
the traditional territory of the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish First Nations people who've lived here from time immemorial. And we want to kind of keep that, this orange shirt day as a, in the background of, of all that we're doing this, this morning. And I, I do think that the, the timing of the text is very interesting. I think there's a lot about colonization in this text that comes out of us losing our humanity and uh, losing sight of our, our true self, who we were really created to be in the image of God. And so last week I began this series. I'm going to continue talking about discerning your true and your false self. And uh, last week I, I retold the story I've told before about the little girl who came up to the priest who was blind and in the middle of her conversation she all of a sudden was startled to realize that this, this, this man was blind. And she said to him, you're blind. And uh, he said, dear, that's not news to me. And then she said to him, you don't know what you look like. You're beautiful. And it just so stunned him. And I, I found that just such a, a beautiful picture of of our humanity and what's happened to us. Because like Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, we believed a lie. Uh, this priest had, be- had been struck with an illness when he was a child and he became blind. And in the same way, things happen in our life very quickly where we forget who we are and so we struggle. We take on false personages and identities. And, and, and I know this is language that, that a lot of us are maybe not familiar with, you, you, you may say, well, I, I don't see this in Scripture, this idea of the true and false self. Well, I never hear the word Trinity in Scripture, and yet it's all over Scripture. And this idea of the true and false self is all over Scripture, I can, I can assure you. Um, the uh, Psalm 139 says, well, we're be- we are wonderfully and fearfully made as human beings. Uh, Psalm chapter 8 says, what is humanity that you have even taken notice of him? The creator made us a little lower than God and has crowned us with glory and honor. This is an incredible image of, of God that's in humanity. And yet there's a paradox because scripture also tells us that we're fallen and that we're broken. And that we're, we've been alienated from the life of God. And part of the problem with that in our struggle is, is in Western thinking, we're dualistic. Do you know what I mean by that? We're kind of black and white people. And that comes out of the Enlightenment, where we have to sum everything up in a tiny, tidy bow, you know, a pretty bow, and, and we have it all figured out. And we're not comfortable with paradox. We're not comfortable with mystery. But the fact of the matter is, is it's important for us to embrace the mystery of both. That you are beautiful and you're broken. I'm beautiful and I'm broken. And I think that's really important for healthy spirituality. I think it's really important for healthy relationships. Because if you start assuming that we're beautiful and you don't get the broken part, you're going to get disillusioned really fast. But if you just deal with the broken part and you don't deal with the real self, then you begin to live out of a false self that we want to address today. And 
The language of true and false self was popular, popularized in our current spirituality by a man by the name of Thomas Merton. Anybody ever heard of Thomas Merton? He's a Trappist monk. He was, a, he was from a very strict Catholic order. And in the 1960s, he was commissioned by the Catholic Church to explore Eastern religions and find out why so many youth were leaving the, the church and leaving the West to delve into Eastern mysticism and religion and spirituality. And so this man very, very faithfully and courageously hung on to his own faith. He held to his own faith, but he entered conversation with non-Christian religions. And he found out that there was an incredible amount of truth that was outside of our orthodoxy, that was still God's truth. And he began a conversation with them. Also informed by the discoveries of modern, modern psychology, because good theology always takes the discoveries of science and incorporates them. It doesn't deny them. It recognizes that all truth is God's truth. So he took some of those discoveries from Eastern religion, from psychology, went back to scripture and saw so many parallels. Of course, there's differences. We know that. But he found a lot of parallels as well. And a fellow by the name of Henry Nouwen, anybody heard of Henry Nouwen? He was a Jesuit <clears throat> priest who was very influential on the whole body of Christ, even though he was a Catholic. Uh, he was probably read more or as much as by Protestant writers as uh, uh, readers as Catholic. And Henry was a very, very gifted man. He was a professor at Yale University. He taught theology. He was in great demand around the world as a speaker, and he wrote books prolifically and, and was very, very popular. And in the middle of that, he was confronted with a crisis. He met a man by the name of Jean Vanier. Anybody met Jean, heard of Jean Vanier? My wife has met Jean Vanier. Jean Vanier founded a community called the L'Arche Communities. I think in French that's the Ark, isn't it? Yeah. I think it is. Shoot, I should have thought of that. Should have looked that up before, but I think it means the ark. And uh, these were communities, uh, especially designed to live in community with people with intellectual disabilities of all kinds. And that Jean Vanier's vision was that we would find the kingdom of God there in a very, very powerful and real way. And he was right. And it, Henry Noun was so impacted by Jean Vanier that he left everything. He was a popular speaker, writer, and he went into this community. He went to Daybreak in Toronto, and uh, he, sa he said he, was, he had a breakdown. He had a meltdown. He was confronted with his false self because the false self doesn't just come in bad and obviously evil ways. Often the most dangerous false self is a very religious Christian with lots of Christian terminology that then badly misrepresents God. And he was confronted with a false self. He said he was confronted with the fact that most in these communities would have not have passed the admissions test for any of the universities that he taught at. Let alone, none of them had even picked up one of his books, let alone read them. And he could no longer hide behind his false self. He could no longer hide behind his successes. And 
He said members, what struck him was that members of L'Arche weren't impressed with any of his pedigree. They didn't care whether he was the new priest or the new janitor. And he was confronted all of a sudden with, who's Henry? And he had a total meltdown. I had a similar one in a different context at the age of 30. And he realized that all his scaffolding, he called the false self, his scaffolding, all came crumbling down. And remember last week, we just to review, he said that there are three lives of the false self, that I am what I, ha what I, what I have, what I possess. These, uh, I am what I do or I have accomplished. And I am what others say or think about me. And sometimes we kind of uh, boomerang between different aspects of this. And sometimes our true self will come out, who, who God really created us to be. I know at the age of 16, I was confronted with an aspect of, of so much falsehood in my life. And part of, the, part of my conversion was similar to Augustine, where I felt I came home to myself. And that God was crazy in love with me. I didn't have to be something else to get that love anymore. So amazing. And so um, people find their identity in these things or the negative side of these. Sometimes if you can't um, get lots of things, you're driven by what you don't have, and, or you're driven by what you haven't done. And this happens as you get older. A lot of older people get a false self because they become obsessed by what they haven't accomplished. The older I get, the realize I'm having to lay dreams down, and I have to be like Abraham and say, well, that was a promise, but that's going to be my grandchildren's generation. I love the First Nations way. They plan for seven generations. Or you know, the only time we got attention and love when we were younger, or, or not love, but attention, was when we were bad or evil. And so we live that out. Because it's better to get bad attention than no attention at all. Or our identity is our wounds. I'm the drug addict. I'm the loser. I'm the failure. I'm the guy, I'm the psycho pastor that had the nervous breakdown. We're the screwed up church. These can, you know, we laugh about that, but some, we have to be careful because we can take on a false identity. That's not what God says about us. We're not a screwed up church. We're a beautiful bride and he's, he loves us. Turn to the person next to you, this is totally spontaneous, and say, hi, beautiful. <laughs> I got you. So... Uh, <laughs> Joanna was saying as Nevea was dancing around here this morning, she looked like a bride. Beautiful. So the gospel is full of, of lessons about exposing our, what God does, and this is the painful part, the, you know, the truth, truth will set you free, but first of all, it makes you miserable. You've heard that saying, right? And part of the miserable part of truth is when your false self is exposed. And when that scaffolding comes down. It's painful. But you're in a safe place. You're with one who loves you infinitely. And so it's okay to let those scaffolds come down. 
But the gospel is full of stories of God confronting the false self. And the story of the prodigal son, as I said last week, was the story of a man, a, a son who, it says he came to himself. That was when he began to go home to his father. And what was Jesus' biggest contention with the Pharisees and what did he call them? Hypocrites. What is hypocrite? Hypocrite is an, is an actor. It's somebody who's putting on an act. You're not who you are. And why did Jesus say there would be some people who were super religious, who even healed the sick and cast out devils, but he would say, depart from me. He said, I don't know who, I don't know who you are. Who are you? That's scary. And at the age of 30, when I had that nervous breakdown, it felt like that. God, in his mercy, advanced judgment for me. And he said, Gordy, I don't know who you are anymore. I was so driven to achieve and perform and impress. It, it had all the Christian language to it, and often I didn't recognize it. But it had all this Christian language around it. We're going to be radicals for God. That was our identity. We're going you know, to rattle the devil's cage. We're going to shake this nation up and turn it back to God. You know, and it, and, and it, was, it was all sounded so good, but it was driven by a false self, a false need to, be, to make an impact, to try to be something that God said I already was. That, that the, the, the real battle is, is simply believing what God says about you. That's Christianity, is believing that what he says about you is true. And living out of that. And so, let's look at our text. Because what, what we see in the Gospels is often God confronting the false self in various uh, circumstances. Jesus, particularly, confronting. And so, we have this story. Does, and does anybody remember where we left off last week? What was Jesus doing? He, had, he was holding a child. So, we can assume the dialogue continues. He's still holding a little child right here about Caden's age. So he's, can you just imagine him sitting there, and he's got, he's got a child on his lap. And John is really nervous about all this stuff that Jesus is saying about being welcoming and inclusive and embracing. You, if you welcome one of these little ones in my name, it's not as if you're welcoming me. You are welcoming me. It's not as if... And if you welcome me, it's not as if you're welcoming God. You are welcoming God. Wow. And John, I think, got a little nervous. So he says, oh, a teacher. He kind of, you know, sometimes when we, our false self is being exposed, we get theological. We bring up some, you know, a Bible verse. We hide behind our, our theology and our Bible. And John says, teacher... We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. We got to circle the wagons here. We got to keep theological correctness here, because he wasn't one of us. So Jesus, you know, was recognizing, of course, the false self. What the false self does is it finds their identity by their in-group. We create an us-and-them category. And the, as I said last week, the false self operates out of fear rather than out of love. The true self operates out of love. Perfect love casts out fear. But the false self, because it operates out of fear, sees others as competition, sees them as a threat. 
So we have to have our little in-group, and we have to have circle our wagons and protect everything, be very parochial, and uh, becomes defensive, us and them language, and we feel like we're under siege. So Jesus says, don't stop him, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I want us to just stop there. Have you ever thought about that phrase? All of a sudden, God just expands the tent. It's like, whoa. You mean they might pray differently? They might act differently? They might even, you know, come from a different culture and language? Whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. You mean they might even call God a different name? Wow. Wow. Keep in mind what Jesus is doing. What's he doing? He's still holding a little one, right? So he says, whoever is not actively opposing us is in solidarity. Did you ever notice in the Gospels that Jesus is constantly outside the boundaries of the accepted orthodoxy? His first sermon, he so offends the orthodox that they almost kill him. He gets up in Nazareth and he says, by the way, you orthodox people, remember that when Elijah was on earth, he didn't go to any of the orthodox. He went to a Syrophoenician he went to, and when Elisha was alive, he went to Naaman the Syrian. They're the ones that got healed. And when the centurion came to Jesus, he said, I haven't found any faith like this in all of Israel. A Gentile oppressor. The Syrophoenician woman who came to him for healing of his daughter after that playful exchange about her being a dog, he said, I have never seen such great faith. He was constantly doing that. Constantly pushing those those protective false self boundaries that people had, those us and them boundaries. He was constantly pushing up against that. I'm, I love the story of Jay Pathard. I've told you this before. Of the vineyard pastor in Denver, he was with a ministerial and he was leading the ministerial, so they brought the mayor of Denver to come and speak to them how they could better serve the city as a group of pastors. So he gets together, he gets together with these pastors and the mayor says to them, uh, we've done studies and we've, we've shown that, uh, studies have shown that the, the greatest way that uh, we can reduce all kinds of social problems, violence, domestic problems in cities is if people will just be good neighbors. So he leaves and Jay looks at all the other pastors and he says, am I the only one who's embarrassed here? Our mayor supposedly not a Christian, says that if we will just do what Jesus said to do, we will heal our city. <laughs> Another example. Um, it's amazing where Jesus shows up. Some of you have heard my story of when I was about 21, 22 years of age, and we were in India, in northern India, uh, preaching in a very unchurched, non-Christian area. 
And we were warned that there was this radical faction of Hinduism called the RRS. RR, I think it's RRS, RRS. Rajiv, some of you know Rajiv, was actually in that radical faction before he came to Christ here in Vancouver. But we were warned they were going to attack us in a meeting. And it happened. I was preaching. And I was too young and wet behind the ears to know we were in danger. But I was preaching, and there was a crowd of several hundred people in the crowd, and these group of young men were sitting at the front. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of my sermon, they jumped up and attacked the platform. They, we had this kind of canopy. They pulled it down, and some of our hosts grabbed us and ushered us into the car. This is not a lie. This, this really happened. I'm still, I'm still having a hard time believing this really happened. Kathleen and I were ushered into this car, and a mob surrounded our car and began to rock it. I, I've heard, read stories since then to realize that we were miraculously saved that day. And the, the driver was trying to move the car out, and all of a sudden, the only way I can describe it is these massive-sized brown angels, about four or five of them, clothed in white, with brown arms and brown faces, surrounded our car and put a ring around our car. And they ushered us out of that area and let us go. We got to where we were staying and we decided to leave town. But we got word from these, how many think that was wisdom? <clears throat> Jesus said, if they I said, I have a word from God. If they persecute you in one city, flee to another. It was a word from God. And... Uh, but we got word from the people that these guys that they wanted to host us for tea. So we went over to their house before we left town that next morning. And guess who they were? They were Muslims. And the, I felt the presence of God with these guys. I felt just the sweetness of Jesus. They, they served us tea. To them it would have been offensive for us to leave town without allowing them to show us hospitality. And they loved us. They gave us the cup of water. They gave us the cup of tea. They gave us the embrace, the welcome. And guess what? In my mind and in my heart, based on what Jesus said, they received Christ that day because they received me. They welcomed me. I don't understand it. But I know that Jesus is a lot bigger than my little boxes. And I believe he's the only way to God, but he comes in surprising packages. Surprising packages that burst our mindset. So Jesus wants us as a, as a people, the false self wants to circle the wagons. The true self begins to recognize and see God in surprising places. Then he goes on to, to, to uh, give some heavy words. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, okay, what's he doing again? What's he doing? Oh, yeah, just wanted to remind you. He's got this little one. Oh, I wish I could really do that right now. I just need a grandpa fix. Uh, holding a little one. When, oh, he's just holding that. I, I think that was one of Jesus' favorite sermons that he ever had to preach. He's holding this little one. And he says, if anyone, maybe he just saw a little bit of glimpse of history coming. Maybe he saw just a little bit, a little bit of colonialization. You know what colonialism? Colonialism is 
is looking at what somebody else has and saying, that belongs to me. That's what the false self does. Instead of recognizing what God has given you is enough. That God is good. That you are, you are not inadequate. You're not less than. You're not going to do without. Colonialism were ap- acts out of fear. And unfortunately, the Pope decreed in 1450 that European nations that discovered uninhabited territories, empty lands, Nahilis, uh, how do you say it again? Nahilis, uh, it's, a, it's a Latin term for empty lands. How can a land that had 100 million people, North America, be empty? How can it be uninhabited? As the, the First Nations theologian Mark Charles likes to say, you cannot discover something that's already inhabited. If you don't believe me, leave out your cell phone and your car keys, and I'll come and discover them for you. Right? So that colonialism comes out... What happens is when... Um, the false self takes on a corporate entity. So the false self joins with other false selves. You have colonialism. You have empire. You have white supremacy. Racism, Nazism. That is false identities that we form. And we can form those false identities around our denominations. In our pet theology, we can form those false identities. And so, colonialism is taking what doesn't belong to you. And that happens at an empire level, and it happens at a personal level. When you violate someone else's body, that's colonialism. It's the same spirit. And Jesus gets into that here, doesn't he? He starts talking about it. Pretty heavy. So, He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, and he's holding this little one, who believe in me to stumble, that word stumble is scandalizo. Interesting, eh? Scandalize. The word scandalize in the Greek means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert the very one that they ought to trust and obey. Can I say that again? Scandalizo, or stumble, literally means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert someone they ought to trust and obey. If anyone does that to one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. This is a millstone, and it was about the size... It could not be moved by a human being. They needed beasts of burden to move these things and to turn them even. So basically to have that around your neck thrown into the sea, there was no chance of you getting out. So, how do you encourage, how do you encourage these ones to trust and obey Jesus? We go back to what he said earlier, you accept, you welcome, and you receive them. And how do you uh, cause them to not trust and obey the very one that they should be? You don't welcome them. The lack of welcome. The lack of... So either by omission or commission. Um, and Jesus gave us three ways that we, we, we can offend. One is with our hand. 
One is with our feet, and one is with our eye. And his language, as he goes on, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble... Now, before I go any further, Jesus is not telling anybody to cut their hand off. Okay, Just want to give you that caveat right away. But he does like hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is, eh? You say an extreme thing to make a point. So he's talking about extreme measures here. So don't, don't water it down. But he's, 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 he's pretty intense here. He's saying, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to go with two hands into hell. That word for hell is Gehenna. It was an actual physical place outside of Jerusalem. It was a garbage dump. It was where they used to sacrifice children to Molech, the god Molech. So there was the carcasses of children in this place, and then the Jews hated it so badly that they just would avoid it except to throw refuse. It was a garbage dump. It was always burning because bodies of dead animals would be thrown there or executed criminals were also thrown in. And it was always burning, and people could see maggots. It was a horrible place. So Jesus said, when you allow the false self to take over your identity. That's where you end up, out of community, broken from relationship and community. Pretty graphic image, but that's, you don't have to go to hell to be there. That's the reality of many, many people in our city, and I've experienced that reality. I've experienced that alienation from community due to my own brokenness and sin and shame and false self. I went through two years where I felt like that after my breakdown. It's a false consuming self. So Jesus says, just do what you have to do to stay in community, to stay connected, to not isolate yourself in your falseness. And use your body your hand, your feet, your eye, to embrace and welcome and connect with people. Don't make it complicated. How do we welcome and receive one another? How, when someone walks in the door, how do you welcome them? First Nations are so good at this, aren't they? At the whole idea of welcome. Like when they, have, when they open a service, they go through all these protocols to make sure that every last person feels loved and welcomed. And so we can learn so much from them. But our welcome team that we have at the back, they're so important. But all of us are important because it's just not up to a little team. This spirit of welcome is the kingdom of God. And, and when it's not there, it causes people to distrust the very one that they should be trusting. It's so critical. How do we do that? We do that with our bodies. You know, cultures have had different ways when someone comes in the door. Paul said in uh, Corinthians, is it Corinthians? He's greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, it's cultural, right? So in Switzerland, it's three cheeks. In uh, some cultures, it's not a kiss, it's a handshake. In other cultures, it's an embrace. So I, I think it's important to be culturally sensitive and respectful. But the point is we use our bodies to welcome, to embrace. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled 
than to have two feet be thrown into hell. What do you do? use your feet for? You use your feet to show up. That's how you got here today, most of you, right? Unless you were Veronica or somebody, but most of us use our feet to get. So just showing up is how we welcome people. But we used our feet to colonize. We used our feet to go and take over. Instead of bring, bringing love and life and noticing where God was already at work. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus was referring to that Gehenna place there. He's saying, just understand that this is where the self, false self will take you. So do whatever it takes to pay attention, to take drastic action, and deal with unaddressed, unaddressed anger. Stop and deal with it. Deal with unaddressed lust. Deal with unaddressed addictions. You know why people are, are addicts? Because they chose to do something. Then they can't choose not to. Did you get that? You are an addict because you chose to do something and now you can't choose not to. And the biggest addiction right now in our culture is the cell phone. I, I couldn't believe it. When I was driving down the walk, the walk yesterday morning, it was 8.30, I'm driving down Georgia, the majority of people were looking at their phones. And if they're standing somewhere, you know, leaning against a building and catching a text, that's fine. But they were walking across crosswalks and down sidewalks. So some, on my Sabbath, you know what I do? I not only put it on do not disturb, I put it on all notifications off. Some people are actually turning all notifications off permanently so they can just control when they're actually going to look at that thing. The, the fact of the matter is we've learned how to do fubbing. You know what fubbing is? Fubbing is when you snub somebody that you're talking to because you've got to look at your text. That's, that's a new term they've in, invented called fubbing. It keeps us from being present. But that's only one. There are so many distractions in our society today. So do what it takes to stay present. Do what it takes to be present to God, to one another, and to yourself. Maybe it means don't go to certain places. Maybe it means putting protocols on your, your internet connections. Whatever it takes, stay in community. And then Jesus ends really strangely. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Whoa. Well, I'm short on time, so let me wrap it up by saying this. I think this salt is what I started with at the beginning. This salt is the truth hurt. You know, the truth sets you free, but it first of all makes you miserable. It hurts. And Jesus talks about being a truthful, authentic community, and it has to do with relationships. When, when I was on the... When I was at the National Gathering in Montreal, uh, I received an email. And the text had a very sensitive password that I use a lot. 
And the guy starts writing me like he's really friendly. And then he says, I know all those internet porn sites that you've been visiting. And actually, your camera on your computer has been filming you. And I've got it. And you're going to pay me this amount of money in about 24 hours, or I'm going to send it to all your closest contacts. Well, it was really late at night. I was really tired. And I had to actually lead a session next, next morning. I hardly slept that night. Not because I go to internet sites like that. I don't. But I all of a sudden realized this guy had my password in my whole life. I just felt so vulnerable to, to anything that I'd ever done or gone anywhere on the internet. And I didn't know. And I wondered, could he Photoshop something and then, you know, put two and two together and so as soon as I could, I talked to Kathleen about it. We prayed, and then I found a brother at, uh, at the gathering. I got him to pray about it. And I, I was just so tempted to respond. I was, so, was going to write the leadership team and just say, this has happened. I don't know what's going on. Just a heads up. But I felt like the Lord say, stare him down. You are who you are. Stare it down. And you know what brought me that sense of safety as I was dealing with this horrific, it was about a 24-hour period where I just didn't know. Another guy had sent me an email saying there was going to be a horrific earthquake in Vancouver, said he was a prophet in the summertime. I, I, it, I just felt so vulnerable. I was under attack and alone, and just Kathleen and me, we weren't with our community. But you know what made me feel safe? I realized that there, is, there are some people in my life who know everything about me. I have nothing to hide. I'm broken, and I'm also a child of God. And that seemed to just secure me. I have a friend, Blaine Bartell. Some of you have heard of him. He's spoken here at West, at uh, some of the churches in the city. Became a national celebrity in the States with a television program, Christian leader. But all that time, he was addicted to porn, and actually went to live women. And a woman recognized him that he went to. So she reported him to his pastor. And he was, of course, disciplined and went through a long period of restoration. He came and visited me at my home not too long ago because I was his youth pastor in Calgary. And he said, Gordy, I cannot describe to you the greatest relief I felt when I got caught. No more lies. And he's actually written a book called Death by a Thousand Lies. I'm so proud of him because, but, because he's gone through a long period of restoration, but he said this, I once had a Christian leader warn me against sharing my weaknesses. He told me it would be used against me, and he was right. But I would rather people reject an honest version of me than applaud a fable that I cannot sustain and helps no one. So we become more and more lovingly present as we engage in these necessary practices. Can I say that all of us should be, need to be, not should, but need to be in this place where we are walking with people who know everything about us. You're not alone. It's the isolation that kills you. It's the lies, it's the false self that kills you. But together we can do it. 
We become more lovingly present as we engage in the necessary practices to discern and renounce our false selves and to remember our true selves, trusting that God is good and believing what God says about us in authentic relationships of integrity and mutual trust. The biggest battle I have against that false self is this, this sense when the anxiety is trying to just consume me and I'm, I'm tempted to act out of that anxiety, whatever that is, false comforts, anger, where those passions begin to rage. It's, it's just like the biggest battle is just to take this deep breath and say, Jesus, I believe I am who you say I am. And I will stay in that. I will walk in that. I don't always pass that test. Ask Kathleen. But that's what practices can help you and I and it's not a cookie-cutter thing, because we're all different. But work on that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. That even if the accusations are true that come against us, that when we are in you and at home with you, we can stare it down, knowing that you have our back. You have our back. I just want to declare that over each one of you right now. He's got your back. He's got your back. He's not your accuser. He's your defender. He's for you, not against you. You want to just play that song, Nate, for me? It's a simple little song that we're going to pray and bless Christine here in a minute. But I want to, some of you don't know this song, but it, and it's so simple. I, I I'm almost embarrassed at the simplicity of it, but I just, I just felt it was so timely. And uh, just let the words and the music wash over you. And let Jesus remind you of who you are.
He's got your back. You're loved. Dear ones, remember who you are. Remember who you are. So come on up, Christine. We're going to pray over you. And she's going to share just a brief. Farewell. I get to do the second sermon today. Um, so I wrote this about three year, three weeks ago. Um, I've been going to church all my life, and I wanted you to know that I have never been in a more transparent community of believers. God, Gordy has modeled that over and over. I remember him modeling it, I think, the first time I came to VEV when we were over on Commercial Drive. And I have been blessed to see and witness your growing transparency and brokenness. And you have witnessed my brokenness. Thank you for extending grace to me many times. And I hope that I have extended you the same grace you have shown to me. It has been my privilege to see you grow in your faith and health and to grow with you. And I will take all I have learned from and with you wherever I go. Keep on being real. Don't be ashamed of your brokenness. Your brokenness is one way Jesus gets to show up and shine through you. When you share your weakness and brokenness with others, you give others the opportunity to open themselves up and Jesus, and for Jesus' light to get to shine into those dark places. And healing happens, and I've seen it happen to lots of people here. Yeah. My prayer for you is that you would continue to grow in knowing Jesus' astounding love for you. That you would continue to grow in health and transparency. And I look forward to coming back. Because I'm not saying goodbye. I'm just saying see you later. And I look forward to coming back and visiting and staying in touch with you. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Christine. So I'm going to go to this mic, Dean. So seven and a half years? Um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 
Eight years and nine months. Awesome. <laughs> As and of today. You've been such a blessing, and we're really going to miss you. I just wish I could preach as short as you do. That's good. So <laughs> no, come on up. Let's pray for her. And Joanna's going to present something to you as well. No presents, just your presence. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I like presents too. <laughs> so we just, if you're a visitor, uh, you're free to just enjoy this with us. Um, if you have to go, don't feel bad about that, but we'd love for you to stay in fellowship with us with snacks and coffee and just observe us being a family, a community. So, Joanna, do you want to just... Sure. Well, I think I want to pray first. I think it's a say more than a pray. I want to, I want to publicly, there's more people up here than here. Christine, I want to publicly acknowledge you for the way that you have honored our children. Um, you chose to be in a small group with families because you so longed to be part of a family. But you see every one of our kids. You know things that they like or dislike. You are, um, you are the, the, like the messages that have been preached about how to honor children. You do that so well. And you have taken the pain that you felt when you were young and you were not treated the way that you should have been treated and you've allowed Jesus to transform that into something that you have given to the kids in our community in so many ways. And as um, your sister that's walked with you, but also as a mom, I just wanted to say thank you. You do that so well. And our kids know that they're loved and honored because of you. So thank you for that. Yeah. So, ah, you give and take away. And my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name, Lord. Blessed be your name for this season. Ah, one of the hard things about being in this city is that we do see so many people come and go. And sometimes it's so hard to be a stayer, and it's really hard to let people in. But I thank you, God. And so, Christine, I want to say that I release you. I release you willingly. You have transitioned well. You've done this well. You've come, and you've given beautifully. And so I release you, and I bless you to go. And I give God the praise and the glory for who you are and everything that he's done in your life. And I don't like it. <laughs> and I, it's okay that I don't have to like it. But it's also okay that I can love the way that God works. And trust, I, tr I just declare. So Lord, I say I trust you with Christine. I ask that you would care for her as she goes. We thank you for her, Lord. Can pray me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, so we do, as a congregation, agree with that prayer that we do release you, Christine, with the same open hand and gratitude that we felt when you came 
And as we journeyed with you, we give you back to God and as a gift. You are a gift. You're a gift to us, Christine. And you're a gift that we give back to God and to your mom and to your, your home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, cover her, protect her, bless her, flourish her. Let some of those dreams still unfulfilled come to pass. Unfold those promises. In Jesus' name. This is our thing, and we want you to open it here while we can see okay. you open it. Great. You should just be able to pull it. Oh, and I'll, uh, I'll let everybody know uh, once I've bought a house, so, and that once it's got beds, so you can come and visit. And the wrapping paper is actually a vintage curtain that you can use oh, for your house, because awesome. I know you like that. That's so great. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so fantastic. So... It is a picture, and it says, thank you for all the ways that you've loved us from your VEV family. And I'm so sorry if you didn't get a chance to sign it. I tried to sign names of people that weren't here last week. You but can always, yeah, you can add on. Yeah. I'll tuck it in. Yeah. So take us with you and hang us in your new house. <laughs> Great. Awesome.